Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Okay, so let me just ask you a quick question. What was one of the major components of the temptation that was in the Garden of Eden that the devil was tempting humanity with by tempting our first parents? Answer, uh, that you will be like God. The idea of you being deity. Now, we recently covered uh, the Luciferian aspects of the narcissism of Stephen Furtick and noted that, well, you know, anybody who talks like he does sure does sound a lot like the devil from Isaiah 14. I will ascend to the highest heights. I, 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 right? Yeah. Well, there's subtler forms of it, and oftentimes you can find those forms embedded in, well, mysticism especially forms of mysticism that are connected to, related to, flow from monastic uh, mysticism through Roman Catholicism, specifically through the Cistercian order. Have you ever heard of Richard Rohr? Richard Rohr was taught by Thomas Keating. Thomas Keating flat out was a Cistercian. Have you ever heard of the Knights Templar? They were Cistercians. Uh, they were definitely steeped in mysticism and uh, in the uh, kind of the mysteries of mysticism, if you would. And and what is the big mystery of mysticism? You're going to hear it from a Cistercian monk today. So uh, let, let's just say we got some work to do. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be listening to Amanda Wells. This is a lady who used to work really closely with Catherine Runala. And then when it came to light that Amanda Wells was a, a supreme plagiarist, aside from being a complete wingnut wackerdoodle, uh, she disappeared for some time. And she's been lurking off in back corners of, of the internet. But she's reemerging with more uh, frequency. And so that's who we're going to be listening to. The best way I can put it is Amanda Wells is back and more dangerous than ever. But before we get to that, let me let me let me uh, sh let me whirl up the desktop here. Before we get to that, let me let me kind of ask you the question. Do you just you get the feeling like you you need to know where do we go to like get a good resource for like you know wrapping our head around all of the really weird things that are going on in our world today? How how do we approach the modern issues of our time? from a biblical worldview. Answer, issues, etc. They're not sponsoring uh, this video, but I wanted to make something clear. They have a conference coming up, and uh, the issues, etc., making the case conference. This is a conference that I've spoken at many times. I, I, I get invited with frequency to speak at the issues, etc. conference. The upcoming conference is uh, Friday, July 23rd and 24th, so it's still coming up. If you want to make it, you can. It's going to be at Concordia University, Chicago, in Illinois. Noise. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Illinois. But uh, Molly Hemingway, Mark Hemingway, uh, Lawrence Rast, Will Whedon, Brian Wolfmuller, uh, Jack Phillips, Dr. Robert George are all going to be speaking. And the information on how you can attend the conference and, uh, and you know, information about lodging and things like this, there's still time to register. And believe me when I tell you, it would be well worth your time. And if you don't listen, to the Issues Etc. radio program, you might want to start weaving that into like your podcasting, you know, things you're listening to while on the treadmill or walking the dog or things like that. 
I cannot think of uh, of a more important or super important uh, you know resource that's out there in light of just what, as we're watching Western civilization melt down before our eyes. This is a good place to go to help make sense of it from a biblical worldview. And what we'll do is we'll put a, a link to this uh, issues etc. 2021 making the case conference link. We'll put it down below in the description so that you can take a look at it. And and again, they're not sponsoring this episode of Fighting for the Faith. I want you to know about this resource and uh, and avail yourself of it. And even if you're not able to attend, start listening to issues, etc. And within a certain amount of time, you'll be able to uh, find out how you can get a hold of these lectures and uh, and listen to them. You know, you know, in the near future. All right. All of that being said, we're going to take a listen to Amanda Wells, and what we're going to be listening to is um, one of the insipid. And I do mean this insipid satanic doctrines of uh, of Gnosticism, the Cistercian form of monastic mysticism that is seeped into uh, so much of the Pentecostal Church. And we're going to listen to her. She recently did a business blessings prophetic night with Amanda Wells, a prophetic message, and boy, uh, it, you know, when I took a listen to this, the only thing I can think of is like, hmm, that sounded a lot like well. The same message of the devil. Let, let me explain. Let me go back to the Garden of Eden, the scene of the crime, uh, you know, the, the thing that plunged us into the misery we find ourselves in. Genesis 3 says, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh Elohim had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? I mean, look at that. Yeah. So the, the, the devil, I mean, let me give you my paraphrase. Is it true? God's not letting you eat at all. He's working you to the bone and not even feeding you. That's kind of the gist of it. Satan is trying to say, I'm your friend. I'm here to rescue you from that evil, terrible Yahweh. Uh, and so the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God did not add that part about touching it, but all right. Let's, so the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And in saying this, the devil's saying, I'm going to tell you the truth. God's lying to you. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Both their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Mm -hmm. Knowledge of good and evil will indeed. Like God, far from it. So you note that part and parcel of the temptation in the Garden of Eden was the temptation to be like God, which is foolish if you think about it, because God created humanity in his image. Now, as a result of this, this then uh, results in man's fall into sin. And, and so we'll note that human beings are, are born not in the image of God, they're born in the image of Adam and his fall. That's kind of explicitly implied. So here it is in in Genesis 5. Listen to what it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Adam was made in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own image. 
Yeah, this is uh, humanity's fall into sin, and uh, you know a, a good way to then think of it is is that when we look at the uh, the the chapters leading up to the flood, uh, we we know that uh, human beings, well, they, they were wicked through and through. Genesis six says, Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yeah, and uh, and so this is this is a result of our fall into sin, uh, and then you think of the uh, book of Ephesians. Ephesians makes makes this also very clear, and uh, those who deny the doctrine of original sin, they hate this passage. But it says what it says. Uh, Paul writing to the Christians in the church of Ephesus, reminding them of what they were before they were Christians. You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. Yeah, that's right, dead. We are born dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, by nature, our nature has been corrupted, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so you'll note, this is important, if you get... If you don't understand what what humanity was like prior to the fall and after the fall, you're going to get this wrong because mystics always go to what we were before the fall and um, somehow say that we're really still that and really want to downplay sin. Uh, and then Romans 3, you know, describes it in a way that's really unflattering. Uh, when it says, what then are we Jews any better off? Paul then says, no, not at all. We have all already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. That includes our children. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. Venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of bitterness and curses. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So note then, this is every one of us. And the wages of sin is what? Death. And infants... And infants in utero, infants after birth, they, they all experience death as well. So this has destroyed us. In fact, I would throw into this mix that, uh, it, that even David himself confesses that he was conceived and born in sin. In fact, I think it's, it's Psalm 51. Uh, where David, after his, uh, you know his affair and murder, with uh, Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite, when he was confronted by the uh, prophet Nathan, he says these things, uh, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. And against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now note here, the text says, I was brought forth in iniquity. He's talking about himself, and he's not saying that his mother was a loose woman or that, uh, it, or that he's the product of adultery. He's not. David is the son of Jesse. 
The text says he was brought forth in iniquity and he was conceived in sin. And this has everything to do with the fact that every human being from, you know, we learned this in Genesis 5, is now born in the image and the likeness of Adam, who has been corrupted by sin. So that's the issue. And, uh, and that's the problem that we all face. This is how scripture describes it. So as we listen to Amanda Wells, you're going to note she's going to do everything she can to start to circumvent and undermine this, author- this uh, concept that we are by nature objects of God's wrath, and we are because of our fall into sin. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. And instead, she's going to try to subtly start to teach this idea, well, that, uh, that we're divine, And uh, I'll let her spin out some of this first. Here we go. Could it be that as we have all entered the times of uncertainty, particularly in church and business, that God has been trying to get each one of us to recognize a truth that we have been ignoring could it be? Could it be? What, what biblical text are you exegeting, Amanda? For centuries. And I believe that truth is now just coming out. Now, let me say this, and this is where um, Wes put it on his Facebook today about seeing. And seeing and recognizing are two very different things. Now, she is using initiation talk. Uh, this is the stuff that you see in the world of witchcraft. <laughs> this sounds like she's been initiated, huh? Many never go on to recognize. We just see what we've always seen. Mm-hmm. Mary at the garden, uh, after Jesus had died and rose again, she saw a gardener, but she didn't recognize that he was Jesus Christ. On the road to Emmaus, the boys saw a traveler and didn't recognize it was Jesus Christ. And I believe in 2000 and 2021, God has removed the scales from each one of our eyes to recognize what we have been seeing for a long time. Hmm. So God's removing the scales so that we can actually finally see you know, the stuff that's out there in plain sight, but we've never been able to recognize it. Again, this is mysticism, witchcraft, occult initiation type of talk here. And I believe in all of you tonight, you have been seeing things, but God says beyond what you've been seeing, it's time to recognize what I've put in you. Because when you recognize what he has put in you, not just for you, not just for your business, but for this planet God's put something in me for this planet. Now, just so you know, we have a little bit of ground to cover. I'm going to bump up the speed just a little bit uh, so that we can keep her moving. But uh, hmm, I wonder what that is. Now, let's uh, take a look here. This is Thomas Keating. He is the mentor of Richard Rohr. He was a Cistercian monk. That's where the Templars came from. They were Cistercians. And these guys were Gnostic through and through. I mean, heretical Gnostic through and through. And I'll let him explain kind of, kind of this summary of, 
of their beliefs, if you would. And uh, and if you know your occult and you know your mysticism and you know, uh, unfortunately, you're initiated into how uh, the Satanists talk and think, well, this is going to sound really familiar. This is going to have rings of weird Genesis type chapter three kind of stuff. So here's um, here's Thomas Keating uh, of the uh, formerly of the Cistercian order explaining a few things to us. Here we go journey is is now i'm going to back this up because there was a pause hang on well uh since you uh, want a short answer uh the beginning of the spiritual journey is is the realization not just the information but a real interior conviction the realization that there is a higher power realization there's a higher power so spiritual journey begins with the realization that there is a higher power what would you call or that? god or to make it as easy as possible for everybody that there is an other all right so there's an other there's an other but below and god is the other got it second step to try to become the other. To try to become God? Because God is the other. To recognize there is another and then to become the other. Still a capital O. Uh, capital O for God. And finally, the realization that there is no other. The realization there is no other. Okay. You and the other are one. Ah. So I'm God. Creepy stuff, right? Always have been. Oh, I've always been God. Wow. Always have been. Hmm. It's in me, you know? Always will be. It, it's always been in you. Allusion to the previous video. You just think that you want it. Okay, so it, my, the problem is my thinking. It's getting me in the way of, of recognizing that I am God. Weird. And that uh, as the spiritual journey unfolds, one lets go of these false beliefs in one's separation from God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise known as dualism. And you embrace instead monism. And... Uh, begins to perceive in all of events and in other people the same presence of God that one is more and more aware of in oneself at the deepest level. Presence of God within myself at the deepest level. And thus the words of Paul become something that makes sense, that God is all in all. In other words, in a sense, we not only become God, but are God. Okay, that's at the heart of um, 
Cistercian Gnostic mysticism. Again, these are the folks that the Templars were. Keep that in mind. Um, and, uh, and so Amanda here is talking about initiation, of seeing the truth, of recognizing it. And what are we to recognize? Well, let's let her keep going here. You are going to walk into something that is going to be so brand new, so, so incredible that you will say, why didn't I see this before? You did see it, but you just didn't recognize it. And one of those things, I believe, is how we see Christ and how this then changes our view of business. Our view of business. Ephesians 4 verse 6, it says, One God and Father of all, Father of all, that's everything, who is above all and through and through all and in all. In all. Hang on a second here. Let me go back to our Cistercian monk, Thomas Keating. Yeah, that's kind of the point he was making. Makes sense that God is all in all. In all. You even make the same emphasis on that on that similar syllable in all. And through and through all and in all. Mm. Colossians one verse seven says, "And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. He is through all, and He is in all." That means Christ is in everything we do, everything we create, everything we make. Christ is all in all. Okay. Now, Christ was in the beginning. When God put light into all of creation, he infused creation. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so if you're thinking, where is she going? I'm coming to an end with this. You're yeah, I, I know where you're going with this. In the end. I recognize these themes. God put light into all of creation. He infused creation with himself. Christ, the triune God. John 1, 3 to 4 says, through him, all things were made. I want us to, to think about this. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. God put light into the body of creation itself in the beginning. Or we could say he God put light into the creation. God said, let there be light. What are you doing here? This sounds like mystical light rather than the actual physical light that God created. Did creation with light or Christ? And Christ, Jesus came to show us that humanity infused with divinity what that looks like. What? Christ came to show us what it looks like when humanity is, quote, infused with divinity? Wow. This is satanic. This is flat out occult mysticism. I wonder if she got this from the Cistercians. Let me back this up. Listen again. Jesus came to show us that humanity infused with divinity what that looks like. Can you imagine? That's the, one of the reasons that Jesus came. We all focus on, yes, he just came to save us so we can get to heaven. He came to show us what we can look like with Christ in us. What? <laughs> okay, we've gone off into flat out pagan Gnostic mysticism. There is nothing that is impossible to you. Nothing. Do you know? Uh nothing impossible to me. There's, I, <laughs> there's a ton of stuff that's impossible for me. I listen to prophetic words and I'm hearing, you know, he's going to give you breakthrough. He is breakthrough. It says he is God. 
awesome. He is breakthrough. I don't have to say, oh, God, please break my business through. I just have to get up in the morning and say, hello, Lord, I'm awake. Now is my day of breakthrough. I am breaking through. And Jesus came to show us that. And Christ, now this is where I want to get to as well. Sorry if I'm preaching tonight. You're, you're... You're, you're not. You're just absolutely spewing complete satanic you know, deity, you know, I'm divinity kind of nonsense. This message that I've had held up here for five years. Christ is perfection. And, you know, it seems that we and you and I, I don't know, maybe you don't, but I certainly do, see imperfection. But I fail to recognize divine perfection in everything I do. Divine yeah, yeah, again, just you know, coming back to, uh, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, King David says, and sin did my mother conceive me. And of course, we read out some of these texts, you know, Romans 3, you know, none is righteous, no, not one. Um, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All together have turned aside and become worthless. Yeah, what, what Bible are you reading, Amanda? Imperfection is the ability to include what seems like imperfection. You know, God looks at a Down syndrome baby with an extra chromosome. They are imperfect. Which is a part of the fall. That's a, that is one of the consequences of humanity's fall into sin. And he still recognizes perfection. You know, God looks at that imperfection and he sees perfection. If that's true, then when we're resurrected from the dead, when Jesus returns, we're all going to we're going to be resurrection resurrected with our handicaps. God looks at you and he looks at me and with all my mistakes, with all my missing it, with everything that could mistakes, they're called sin. Go wrong. You know what God looks at? He sees perfection. No, he doesn't. If God saw perfection in me, then Jesus's death on the cross for my sins wasn't necessary. Nature, in all of its imperfection, still reveals the nature and the goodness of the divine and his presence. Yet here we are. We pick and choose which imperfection is okay and which isn't. Uh, all of it is a consequence of sin. What are you talking about? You know, well, that one's okay. That one's not. I certainly don't like that in him or that in her. And the thing is, if we see a God, therefore, who picks and chooses who he cares for, who is perfect enough, then you and I will. And none is righteous. No, not one. Christ dies for the sins of all. Always be insecure. And we will never really be sure if we are on the list of receivers who are worthy enough. No one is worthy enough. <laughs> so coming back here, none is righteous. That's me and you. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Every one of us. Together we have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's describing all of us as a result of our fall into sin. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and so that the whole world may be held accountable to God. But here's where the gospel starts to come to bear. For by works of the law, 
no one can be good enough. No, by works of the law, no human being will be justified, declared righteous in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, how? Apart from the law. Uh, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. This is the righteousness of God that is through faith, and it is for all who believe. In other words, everybody who is brought to true penitent faith in Jesus Christ, it's not because they've made themselves worthy. No, none is worthy. None is righteous. Not one. Instead, they have been gifted the righteousness of God through faith. Or in, uh, putting it another way, they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So you're going to note here that mysticism, especially of this particular stripe, and yeah, this smells like Cistercian Gnosticism to me. This thing right here just obliterates repentance, the forgiveness of sins, the imputed righteousness of Christ, and it basically teaches some kind of insipid universalism. Uh, this is the same kind of mysticism that uh, Rob Bell was quite famous for. And there's reasons for that. It's just Amanda is kind of the most unskilled purveyor of this particular brand of mysticism. I want to say tonight, you don't need to ask for a blessing. You are blessed. Because in his eyes, you are perfect. Your imperfection is perfection to him. No, it's not. My imperfection is bled and died for by Christ. Your mistakes, they, don't, they, they are not imperfection to him. My, they're not mistakes. They're sins. They have been bled for by Christ. He looks at you and he says, you've got me in you. You are blessed. So why am I starting with that? Because no matter how imperfect you and I believe you are, or I am, how imperfect my business is, maybe my church is, maybe my ministry is, God only looks and sees perfection. No, he doesn't. He sees Christ because he is all and in all. In all, the same thing that Thomas Keating was pointing out. The divine out. perfection in you and in all. The, the divine perfection in me? What are you talking about? You know, the creator's wisdom, love, and kindness, and loves to shine and live to shine through a creation that in itself is anything but perfect. And, and I think one of the then why is the earth wearing out and why is Christ, when he returns, going to create a new heavens and a new earth if this thing is all is perfect? Downfalls of religion. The one that gets me really gets me on my high horse is that we are made to center in on imperfection. Center in on imperfection. What are you talking wow. about? The original purpose for religion was to find and regain the divine image in us and everything created around us. That's what religion was about. We are to mirror the divine image. The, the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune one. And a mirror by its nature reflects impartially, equally, effortlessly, spontaneously. Well, get on with it then. Um, scripture says none is righteous, no, not one. And endlessly. A mirror does not produce the image nor does it filter the image according to its perceptions 
or its preferences. And a true mirror just calls forth. It produces a reflection of what is already there. You, th that is what you and I are to do this year, especially this year of uncertainty. We are to mirror perfection. <laughs> Good luck on that one. But Amanda, I'm not perfect. No, you're not. But Christ in you, in your humanity, is divinity. And that is perfection. Now, if you think she's really not teaching that, let's, let's take a look a little farther down the line as she's wrapping up her major point. He looks at who he originally created. I'm going to back that up because the, the weird cut you, there. As who you were originally created to be. You know, God doesn't look at my imperfections. He looks at who he originally created me to be. N no, <laughs> they're not imperfections. It's sin. And uh, who he created you to be, that's not going to be fully restored for Christians until Jesus returns. We still have a sinful nature that we have to contend with. And you and I are not created to be as Adam. Do you know that? The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, a life-giving spirit. And the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven as was the earthly man and those who are of the earth and as is the man from heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Jesus was not the second Adam. He was the last Adam. I, I, I'm not after Adam. I'm after... Okay, she's doing something weird with that text. Let's take a look at it. 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, she said verse 45, but we're going to put a little context around this. Um, and here's what it says. If in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, this is verse 20, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a, if by a man came death, again, talking about this is the doctrine of original sin, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection, that's still coming in the future. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that, it, that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him so that God may be all and in all. Yeah, you're seeing the context here. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Because some were actually saying, Christians were saying, there is there is no resurrection. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? So let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do, you, do, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. But some will ask, well, then how are the dead raised? Note this whole dissertation, 1 Corinthians 15, is about the resurrection. With what kind of body do they come? 
you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, for birds, and another for fish. They are There are heavenly bodies, then there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So, if it is, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. For the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Do you see what's going on here? And what is Amanda doing? She's turning this into a Gnostic text about the deification of humanity. Jesus, he, he was the last Adam. Adam was the first man made from the dust of the earth. The second man... Jesus was from heaven. I am such a new being. The earth has never seen anyone like me before. Well, you got that right, (laughs) but not the way you're saying it. They've never seen anyone like you before because the last Adam, he was created as a life-giving spirit, life, not death. This is talking about what's coming in the resurrection for us. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Death is not the door to heaven. Life is. So as sons of God who are, who are made after heaven, how supernatural do you want to get? This text isn't saying anything about me being supernatural. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to another prophet just another dip that will do me but you know what god closed that off last year we couldn't even get dibbed or dabbed we couldn't get a prophet to lay hands on us couldn't get activations oh no only on zoom why because he wanted you and i to know you are so supernatural that you are after the man from heaven I am so supernatural the last adam jesus christ what he did you can do what Jesus did, I can do. Yeah, she's she's drunk on Cistercian wine, best way I can put it. She's gone full-blown Gnostic, mystic, and is teaching a form of deification. And uh, and here's the thing, she's terrible at it, which is makes it helpful because the other people who teach this kind of stuff, including Richard Rohr and you know, the late Thomas Keating, they were far more skilled and charismatic in their way of teaching this stuff. So if you're if you're listening to anybody, if you know anybody who's imbibing in this form of deification and this concept of uh, that uh, you know Christ in me means that I'm God, and because Jesus is in me and He was miraculous, I can be miraculous. 
Yeah, you're dealing with a form of deification, you know, little God's doctrine, and uh, this is the stuff that uh, sent the devil uh, out of heaven to be punished. And uh, it's, uh, uh, well, it's always been a theme within the dark underbelly of the church, always lurking there. But if you know anybody who's bought into this stuff, you need to warn them. This is the same temptation of the devil. You will be like God. No, no, no. And that's not what it means that Christ in us, the hope of glory, it doesn't mean that we're deified or that, uh, you know, that now we can reflect the perfect image of God and be divine far from it. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.